0: We uh, are preaching through right now the book of Matthew, however, um, we will not be in the book of Matthew today. Um, We've been in about a year and a half, and so um, we've got a few things along the way that we kind of take breaks from the book of Matthew, which we will be in not this week, not this coming Sunday, but the following Sunday after that we'll be back in the book of Matthew. Um, But today, as you may or may not know, we're going to be uh, doing an elder installation service um, as a part of the service today. Jack's going to be installed as an elder today during the service. And so, um, coupled with that, what I'm going to do is preach a, a sermon on what it is to be, uh, what are the biblical roles of, of the office of elder, what is the office of elder, and on and on. So I know all of you, I know, I mean, this morning you woke up, oh, mmm, I just want to hear a sermon on elders. Now, I know you all woke up that morning, like that this morning. Perhaps some of you actually did. I'm kind of being funny, but... um but well, that's what we're going to be looking at today. So my goal here is, as I talk about elders and what it means to be a pastor, elder of the church, um, is not to bore you to death, but instead invite you in to hear about some of the things we're talking about and even have some things that I'm going to say that would even apply to you. So there I, there I are mean, some direct application points for you, um, but I want you to, uh, if you would, strive to... Strive to listen to all the things that we're going to talk about because there's some some definite application points, not just for you as a congregant, as someone who attends or a member of a church, but also just you as a Christian, what it would look like for you to pursue Christ, pursue holiness, and have some of the qualifications that we're going to talk about in your own life. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll, we'll go in and, and talk about this. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for today. We thank you for this opportunity we have each week to come. ...and gather around your word where we can hear from you. Because the Bible, the scriptures are your words, your direct revelation, your revealing of yourself to us. So when we read these words, we're not just reading words written by men, but we're also reading the very words of God. And so if God is speaking, we should listen. And so I pray for myself, Lord, that you would give me um, a fullness of the Holy Spirit to speak in the power of the Spirit... Um, Because I'm speaking your words and that these words would be edifying not just to my own soul, but to the soul of all here. I pray for a special measure of grace as we look at the scriptures, thinking about office of elder and what it means to be a pastor of the church um, and that it doesn't just connect to just me and Jack because we are elders of the church, but also for every person in the room as they consider their life as a Christ follower, what their life should look like as they pursue holiness, as they pursue mission. So we ask for your help this morning, Lord we we commit these uh, these things to you and, and and trust that you'll come now in the power of the Spirit. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So I want to give you a little bit of history of, if you're kind of brand new to the church of what's going on. Remedy Church is about three and a half years old. We started about three and a half years ago, and as we got started, um, one of the things that I really wanted to do very early on is have other elders. Uh, an elder we we're going to talk about today just also means pastor, other pastors of the church. Um, and, and have those alongside me so I'm not just kind of running blind, making decisions by myself. And people say, are you just running this thing by yourself? That's kind of dangerous. And you'd be right. And so I didn't want that. And so, um, I wanted to appoint elders as quickly as possible. Um, and then I got some advice from the church planning network that we're affiliated with. And they said, your, your desire that you're going to want is to plant, as you're planning, appoint elders right away. So that you know, people think that these are decisions made by a church uh, elders that many people and they can trust it more. And that was my desire. But they said, "You're going to want to do that, but don't. You need to wait a couple years because the office of elder or pastor is not just something that someone qualifies for because they have, you know, a lot. They know a lot about the Bible. They know a lot of doctrine. They know a lot of theology. That's that is necessary. But that's not all that's necessary. Also, you need to see that there's a person that deeply loves the church that is going to be someone who lives on mission, that tries to make disciples. And in the first, you know, little bit of your church, you, you can't determine that in a, in a two, three, four-month span. You need to take some time and see if they have a life that's given towards that. And so they said, try to wait, if you can, for a couple years before you install elders. Well, the sovereignty of God has brought us three and a half years in. And so today, <laughs> we'll, we will be installing elders. Um, the second elder of the church, the first installation, if you will, of the church. I guess that was just kind of default installed when we started the church as the first one. So um, Jack will be installed today. So it's going to feel like as I'm preaching about what it feels like, what is an elder, what does an elder do, and all these kinds of things today. It's going to feel like, really, I'm just kind of preaching to myself and preaching to Jack, and all of you are just kind of bystanders sitting in and listening, but that's not the case at all. Um, as a matter of fact, I would ask that you don't think of it in that way, but uh, that you would think, I'm going to try to show you that there's many, many application points for you as a, as a believer in Christ. As we describe what it is that an elder looks like, we're actually describing what a Christian looks like. So um, if you're a believer, that you would strive for those things in your life. Now, uh, we're going to be doing a huge overview of elders today. And there's certainly no way in one sermon I can... I can cover every detail, and you might have some details that you would want to be covered. And my goal is to do a massive overview. And so I'm going to drill down in on a couple things that I think are important, and some things I might not. So if you have any questions afterwards that you would want answered, you know, in some detail part of this major overview, certainly come find me afterwards, and we can do that. Now, as I said, we're not going to be <coughs> in Matthew today, but we are going to be in a couple different texts. So if you are an overachiever, and type A, these are the texts. You can go ahead and stick your fingers in there, or a piece of paper, or whatever. We're going to be in First Timothy 3. And we're going to be in First Peter five, so you can stick your fingers in there. We're going to get to those. I promise. Eventually, we'll get to both of them. But we'll be in First Timothy three and First Peter five as we're going through. But the way we're going to look at it today is there's kind of six big picture items that I'm going to cover. And as we go through those, the question that I'll cover will be on the screen. No more than that, no details. I just want you to, as you kind of get that big picture question, just follow along with me. Um, We're going to cover what's an elder, what does an elder do, who are the elders, what's required or what are the qualifications of an elder, um, how do they elder, if that's the verb, how do they oversee, how do they shepherd, and then we're going to close with a challenge. Those are kind of the six things that we're going to do. So as we're doing this, um, some things that I want you to think about as I've said, is strive for these characteristics as we look at the qualities of an elder or or what's necessary for an elder. Strive for those things in your life. Think about whether you have those things in your life or not, as well as, we'll close with some application points, but you want to be, if you're a member of this church especially, even if you're just a a regular attender, you want to be in constant prayer for the elders of this church and the future elders. And when I say elder, I just mean pastor. So, um, Mark Dever, in one of his books on church polity... The word polity just means government and the, uh, the operations of the church and how, they, how it functions, the government of a church. He said church polity is not a primary issue. The gospel's not at stake in understanding church policy. So obviously the gospel is, is of first importance, it's a primary issue. Church polity would fall in that secondary category. This does not mean, however, that church polity is not an important issue. So that's what we're going to be talking about is the office of elder today. And so i um, love it if you would... Stick with us during this. Now, here's the thing. First Timothy 3, when you look at it, uh, Paul is writing to a, a pastor named Timothy in first, in, in first and second Timothy. And when he's writing, he's describing what would be the offices of a church. Who are the officers? Who are the ones that would be um, considered someone that has uh, a title in the church? And he says... Uh, You can see there in 1 Timothy 3, you might, in in your version, have a little kind of a a caption, or if you will, or a bolded print title. It says, Qualifications for Overseers. And then right above verse 8 in chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, it says, Qualifications for Deacons. And so, this word, Overseer, is the same word in in Greek. It's synonymous when you see Episkopos, or Presbyteros, or these Greek words, Poimen. All that just means uh, Overseer, Elder, Pastor, um, or Bishop, if you will. Sometimes in some denominations we'll hear that. And so, that's the first title or office of a church is elder, and then the second one is deacon. That deacon in Greek is diakonos, and that just literally is translated as servant. So in the church, we have two offices. We have elder pastor and servant. And so that's we've tried to set up our church biblically in that way. Now, I know you say, well, you have a community group leader and a worship leader and all these kinds of things. Yes, and most all of those people would just fall in the office of deacon or servant. Um, But here at Remedy, right now, as it stands, there was one elder up until now, until... Jack is is going to be installed today as the second elder slash pastor slash overseer. So the first question I want to ask is this, um, and hopefully they can, this will help us give us some good groundwork as we go into. What is an elder? What is an elder? An elder is a pastor. So if you're f- familiar with any terms in church, you're probably familiar with the term pastor. Um, an elder is a pastor who, this is what some of the things that a, a pastor does, who shepherds. Now, More than likely, y'all didn't leave your sheepfold and come to church this morning. And you're very similar to the inner workings of what a shepherd does. But a shepherd looks over sheep and cares for them. Um, And so when we use this word shepherd, the Bible uses this word shepherd. It uses it as a verb. And when we try to understand the meaning of that verb shepherding people, it literally just means basically overseeing them. But when you oversee them, it's not a, a... a harsh type of overseeing it's a loving overseeing so when we say a, an elder is a pastor who shepherds we talk we're talking about them lovingly dearly carefully gently overseeing people inside of a church so an elder is a pastor who shepherds lovingly oversees um through protecting teaching leading managing and caring for the practical needs of jesus's people and that would be the church an elder is not merely, and sometimes we might have this idea that this is what an elder does. An elder is not merely a council or a board member that weighs in on church financial decisions and makes plans. That might be part of it, but that's not at all the end. What They also are loving care um, overseers of the people. So that's what an elder is. It's a pastor. And so... We'll get to that in a second. So the second thing, what does an elder do? Now, I've made a little bit of a list here of some of the things that the elder does. Some places in Scripture, some clear places in Scripture where um, it addresses it, that these are some of the specific things that an elder should do in the life of a church. And so, as we're going through this, um, in this question number two, what does an elder do? What I want you to think about is, how can I, as a person that's a member of this church or a regular attender of a church... um, be the kind of person that makes this job of, of, the, of this pastor really easy? Or how can I pray for them when they have to do these things? So the first thing is uh, is from Acts chapter 20. We're going to get to 1 Timothy 3, all well, you type A's. We're going to get there um, in 1 Peter chapter 5. But the first one comes from Acts chapter 20. Uh, Paul is <clears throat> talking to the elders of the Ephesian church, and this is what he says um, in chapter 20, starting at verse 28. He tells them, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock. So he's looking at those elders and he's saying, you need to pay attention to yourselves, elders, and your holiness. But also, as you're paying careful attention to yourself, you also need to do a very good job at watching all the people in your church, the flock, or that's just people in the church. Pay careful attention to to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer. So if someone's an elder of a church, they didn't make themselves an elder of the church. God made them an elder of the church. Um, in which the Holy Spirit has made you an overseer, elder, pastor, all the same word, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his blood. So we can see the absolute importance um, of the church to Jesus because he was willing to shed his own blood for her, and he obtained her. And then it says, I know, Paul says, that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and among, and from among your own selves "...will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, and he looks right at me and tells them, be alert. Remembering that for three years I didn't cease night or day. I mean, that's night or day for three years. That's constant attention to admonish everyone with tears. So from that we can see one of the things that an elder must do. What does an elder do? Here it is. He protects the church from moral and heretical wolves." That's one of the first things that an elder must do is protect the church from these wolves that might come in and either twist theology and make them think wrongly or try to pull them away morally to come out and just do um, vastly immoral things. So as a pastor, one of the things that we want to do is watch over you and care for you and love for you, where if you're finding yourself entrenched in sin, we want to pull you back in and and, um, lift you up and and help you kill that sin. That's one of the things we're required to do. Um, As well as if false teaching comes in, we want to um, address the false teaching through the word. So that's the, that's the first one. Protects the church from moral and heretical wolves. Um, the next one is in that same chapter, uh, in Acts chapter 20, from verse 27. So if you go up to verse 27, you can also see where it says, Paul's talking about, right before he tells him that, he's talking about himself. And he says, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So the first thing that we know is that he protects the church from moral and heretical wolves. We saw that in 28-31. through 31. In verse 27, this, one of the second things that an elder must do in a church is feed the church with sound biblical doctrine. We see in verse twenty twenty-seven where it says, He did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. And, and Titus uh Paul says something similar to this in in chapter one, verse nine, where he says talking about he's talking to Titus, who is an elder of a church, and he's telling Titus what's a responsibility in regard to the way you teach the word in your church. He says an elder must also hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught that he might be able to give instruction and sound doctrine and also rebuke those who contradict it. Another place where this necessity of understanding how the pastor needs to um, feed the church sound biblical doctrine. When we say feed, and we don't literally mean like feed you. We mean like teach you the word of God, um, is in Second Timothy chapter 4. Now, if you're familiar with Second Timothy, kind of the layout of it. Chapter 3, 16 and 17, Paul holds high the sufficiency of the word of God. He lifts it high and he says, the word of God is able to do so many things, train you in righteousness, and teach you and, and show you how to be whole, all these kinds of things in and, and verses 16 and 17. And then the very next thing that he says, right after he holds high the sufficiency of the word of scripture, he looks at Timothy and says, based on the fact that the word can do these things, Timothy, you're a pastor of a church. He looks at him and he says... I charge you, Timothy, and Timothy's a pastor, so therefore Paul is charging every pastor. He says, I charge you in the presence of God and Jesus Christ, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing and his kingdom. He looks right at him. Based on those things, he says, Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. A lot of times it feels out of season, but sometimes there's sweet times where it's in season. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season with the word of God to repute, reprove, rebuke, exhort with complete patience and teaching. Why? For the time will come when people will not endure sound teaching. There'll be a time where people don't want to hear sound teaching, word by verse by verse from the Word of God. But instead, they're going to have their itching ears will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their passions. In other words, um, I don't like what you're saying. That's too biblical in a sense. I want that guy that's just going to tell me what I want. Um, and so they're going to accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and will turn away. From listening to the truth and wander off in the midst. And so we can see, if that's the case, people are going to do that. It's absolutely necessary for the pastor, elders of the church to teach the word of God. That they would not shrink from declaring the whole council. When we see whole council and preach the word of God, the way that we tried to pattern that at Remedy is a deep core belief in the sufficiency of the word of God. Meaning, we believe the Bible is completely sufficient for you to grow in holiness to get you on mission to have a heart for the lost to be a good husband and wife we believe all the, is able to do all these things and so instead of just saying um we're going to talk about this one topic about being a good husband or dad or dating or whatever instead um we think that if, if we take the word of god and we just we because it's sufficient teach through books of the bible that it's absolutely we teach what acts says the whole counsel of the word that that's the best thing for your soul and truly, then you get more of what God's saying and far less of what I'm saying. And that's a good thing. You, you need way less of what I'm saying and way more of what the Bible's saying. So a pastor should not ever shrink from teaching sound biblical doctrine, as Paul says in Acts 20, the whole counsel of God. Or as in Second Timothy, he says, um, preaching the word. Baxter, Richard Baxter, wrote a book. And as he's talking about, uh, this is about five, 500 years ago, um, 400 years ago, he said... Um, that preaching, preaching inside of a church, when he's talking to pastors, um, he says, this is not a burden, talking about preaching, this is not a burden for the shoulders of a child. And that's because exactly what Paul said could happen in 2 Timothy. When, you, when, when people don't like you, when people don't like what you're saying because you're telling them the word, then um, a couple critiques and a couple criticisms, you might shrink back and and just tell them, what their itching ears want to hear. And so this isn't a burden for the shoulders of child. And I'm not trying to like say, so look at me, I'm a big man. I mean, God is the man, not me. But this is what we're called to as elders. So the second thing that we're, we're called to protect the church, but we're also called as pastors to feed the church with sound biblical doctrine. Um, Another thing that we're called to in Matthew, if you look in Matthew chapter 18, verse 17, there's kind of these steps of someone who's found themselves in sin. In verse 15, it tells us someone's in sin. You go to them and you plead with them. Don't be in that. Please Please repent from that and and, and return back to your right relationship with God. If they don't, then it says in verse 16 that you bring two or more people with you and you do the same process, pleading with them to come back and repent and be back in right relationship with God. In verse 17, it's the third step, and it says if all those things happen and that period of time is not disclosed, it's not like they've got 24 hours to turn their life around, there's no there's no. Time frame given that verse seventeen tells us that if all those first happen, then you tell it to the church. This tell it to the church is where this would be the job of an elder pastor. Where if there's someone who's a member of the church who finds himself in con- continual, habitual, unrepentant, just willful sin, eventually it comes to the place where they would have to tell it to the church. And so the third thing that that an elder does is he disciplines the church in a labor of love. He disciplines the church. This is not a, a, a thing that a, a pastor loves. I mean, a pastor has to discipline their own children. I, I never enjoy disciplining my children. I, I don't like it at all, but I have to. And it's the same idea. If you have to discipline someone, it's not because they did something wrong and you just strike down. That's, that's not what we're talking about. We're talking, we're at the third point, a third process of willful disobedient sin where the church now um, would have to practice discipline. This would be the job of a pastor to tell it to the church to make it known for the purpose of drawing that person back into repentance, drawing that person back into the church, drawing that person back into the fold, um, where they would be walking the way that the Lord want them to walk in Christ. So that's the third thing we've seen, protecting the church, feeding the church with the Bible. The third one would be disciplining the church at a labor of love, tears in his eyes, crying, wanting them to come back. He would have to do it. Um, the next thing that a, that a, a pastor has to do is manage and, and rule over the church. This is a, a uh, an idea of thinking about what's going on in the church. Uh, and managing it and, and it's kind of it's almost kind of like the business side but it's, it's basically ruling over making decisions for thinking about things and where we see this comes from first timothy chapter 3 where paul is talking about the meeting the qualifications of how you must be over your family well and then from that we can see uh what would be the qualification or the what he does look at first timothy 3 starting in verse 4 and 5 He's talking about his own household. He must manage, you can see the, the wording there, he must manage his own household well with all dignity, keeping his children submissive. For if, if one does not know how to manage his own household, how will he care for the church of God? And so this is where, if that's the case, if he does that in the life of his family, well then that's also what he does in the life of the church. So one of the things that an elder does is he manages and and rules over, not in a way that he rules like supremely over the church. in in a higher place than Jesus. (laughs) Jesus rules the church. He's the king of the church. But um, for those that have been, by the Holy Spirit, appointed to the office of elder, the the elder oversees, if you will, and manages the church um, and and loves the people. So that's the fourth one, the fourth thing that an elder does. Um, The next one comes from the book of James, in in chapter 5, verse 14. It says this, Is anyone among you sick? Let him or, obviously her, um, let him or her call for the elders of the church, and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And this isn't necessarily so much about the anointing ministry of the oil, as much as it is about the elders um, praying for and, and caring for the church. So the fifth thing that a ch- that an elder would do inside of a church is attend to the practical needs of the church. Whenever there's practical needs that come up, they need to make sure that people are being cared for. And of course, there can be there can be systems of hierarchy. I mean, we have community group leaders that would probably, in, our, in the way we have it, find out most immediately. But still, we know as a church, as the church elders, what's going on with all the people. And if the community group leader can take care of it, then they should. But if not, then, of course, the elders, pastors would come and oversee some of those things as well, meeting the practical needs of the church. Um, the sixth thing that an elder does is this, and this comes from Ephesians chapter 4. You'll notice in Ephesians chapter 4, where there's uh, kind of a, a gist lifting, if you will. It's, it's a brief little gist lifting that... It, uh, listing that he does in Ephesians chapter 4. But in chapter 4, starting with verse 11, he says this. Well, let me tell you what he does. So here's, here's a summation, again, of all the things that he does. He, he protects the church. We saw that in Acts 20. He feeds the church, Acts 20 and Second Peter second uh, Timothy 4. He disciplines the church, Matthew 18. He manages and rules over, that's 1 Timothy 3. He attends to those practical needs of the church, praying for them, that's James 5. And this is the last one that he does that I have on the list. He equips the saints for ministry and raises up other leaders to care for for and build the church. We see this in Ephesians 4. Notice the language of what an elder wants to do in the life of the people of the church. Look at this, verse 11. And he gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers, so we see it right there, where it says, pastors, your version may say shepherds. This is the same word. Um, And he gave the apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers to, watch what they do, equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. So we don't want to think, it would be problematic to think, that the people that make disciples and see all the people get converted and grow in their faith, the people that do that job are the elders, They do that job, but not exclusively. One of the jobs of the elders is to equip the people in the church to join with us in making disciples or um, helping you do the work of ministry and building up the body of Christ. And so this is another thing that an elder must do in the church. He must do it himself. He must make disciples. He must um, see people become Christians, build up the body. But also, he also must equip you to join with us... so that we're not the only ones making disciples... but we're all making disciples... which means... Um, if you'll notice in this list... this is, this is pretty, I think, interesting... Um, out of those six that I just said... only one of those happens on Sunday morning... like of all those things that an elder has to do... he preaches the word... the rest of the time... this, is like, this isn't like... Uh, we see each other once a week... and that's all we know... and I don't ever keep up with you... and you don't ever keep up with me... and we you know, meet again for an hour... The job of an elder is to be intricately involved in the life of the people of the church where he does all these things with them continually. And um, as as a church has people and grows, then he needs more elders to make sure that he's doing a good job, they're doing a good job at um, meeting the life of, and, and needs of the people, being with them. So. He is equipping you to join with us in the process of making disciples. I mean, just some obvious other things that, tr- that a pastor would do is pray for and be sacrificial towards them and all those kinds of things. But those are just some of the things. Um, we're going to move on to question number three. We could spend tons of time. In, I mean, I could spend four sermons on preach the word, but uh, we're going <laughs> we to have time for that. Um, the third one, and this is a really short one, who are the elders? Who are the elders? And I just wanted to give a little bit of a distinction in there. I kind of hinted towards this just a minute ago. But who are the elders? The elders are the pastors of the church, not the staff. The staff, um, there could be someone that's a staff member that is an elder. For example, me. I'm a staff member and I'm also a... uh, a pastor, which means like a staff is either paid or volunteer, but they oversee some of the different things. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're an elder. More than likely, those will be the deacons. But there also can be somebody that's a staff that's also an elder. And that would be me. But you don't have to be paid by the church at all. You could just be a regular member and also be an elder. For example, that would be what we're doing today with Jack. And it's my preference, actually, that as the, the elder body or board or whatever you want to call them grows, um, that we would usually have... The same amount, if not more, of people that aren't on staff. I would rather have, let's say we had seven. I would rather have four that aren't on staff and three that are. Always a majority, which is just great accountability for the lead pastor, you know, so he doesn't, he's not the boss of the people that are making the decisions with them for the church. That's, that could be problematic. I'm not saying that, you, hey, don't trust me, but I'm just saying it could be problematic. I want you to trust me. Obviously, hopefully you do. Um, so. Anyway, now we're going to the fourth question. This is this is going to take a little bit of time. This is where we're finally, for those of you that have been waiting, we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to go through some qualifications. We're going to go through these briefly. There's many, and I'm going to hit a couple that I think are important. And as we're going through those, um, the key thing I want you to listen to is this, all right? Um, this is not like a description of the varsity Christians that only uh, elders um, meet these qualifications, and nobody else meets these qualifications. There's a lot of people in the church that may never, ever be an elder that should have these distinctions, these characteristics, these um, whatever happening in their life. You should have these things. If you're a Christian, you should have these. So the idea is, here's all these Christians that do these things, and out of that, there might be some that, could, that God might appoint to the office of elder. But all these Christians still are doing these things. So as we're going through 1 Timothy 3, what I want you to think is, this isn't just what the pastors have to do. This is what, if I'm a Christian, I have to have. Like, you should all want these things in your life. All right? So, First Timothy 3, um, let's, let's go ahead and start. It says, in, if I can get to it, First Timothy 3, it says, This saying, and I'm just going to make comments as I go along through, this, for these, through these seven verses. This is number four, what's required to be an elder. What's required to be an elder. Um, this saying is trustworthy, and if anyone aspires... To the office, and so we can see there that this is a a real office in the church. Um, To the office of overseer. Again, overseer just means elder, pastor, bishop, whatever you want to say. He desires a noble task. So this is a big deal. He desires that. But what I want you to see here, um, before we get into those qualifications in verse 1, is the aspiration. Look at that. It says, if one, this saying is trustworthy, if one aspires to the office of elder, If one aspires, this aspiration is not dependent upon the elder pastor here saying, hey, I really wish you would aspire. Instead, it's dependent upon you. There is, um, I think in verse 1, a real sense in which you as as a person of the church can say, you know what, I feel like the Lord is leading me to aspire to the office of elder. And I want to be an elder in the church. This is the language of the way Paul is trying to help us see in verse 1 in, verse one, in, in 1 Timothy 3. Which makes me think, every single person that meets the qualifications of this um, in, in 1 Timothy 3, every single person in this church that meets the qualifications absolutely should aspire to the office of elder. Everyone should aspire. Not, well, only the, you know, the really, really mature guys. If you, if you meet these qualifications, whether you become an elder or not, you should aspire. There's no reason why you shouldn't. Um, now, I've, whenever I was teaching through First Timothy, I, um, I addressed this going through there, and I don't have very much time to talk on it, but I'll just kind of say it really fast. And if you want to talk about it more, I'm more than willing to do it. But I do believe um, that those that can aspire to the office of pastor, elder, should only be men. I believe that women can aspire, if you will, to the office of deacon, servant, but I believe that the office of elder pastor is reserved just for men. I'll I'll quickly show you how I find that, and and I'm going to have to keep going. But if you look up in chapter 2, remember that this book is written towards a pastor, and he's talking to Timothy on how to structure a church, and think about how to structure a church. If you look right there at verse 12, it says, I do not permit a woman to teach or exercise authority. Those Teach and exercise authority or that, that and that chi in Greek connects those two as things that go together. Certainly a woman has ability to teach. <laughs> there's there's tons of women that have the gift of teaching, but we're also coupling exercise authority. So if a woman is going to teach exercise authority in a church, he's saying, I don't permit that. Well it's if you keep going, in verse in chapter three. The only distinction, the major distinction, I should say, that kind of holds out elders from deacons and the dip, what makes a difference from them is right there in verse 2, the very end of verse 2, where he says an elder should be able to teach. But then in deacons, there is no able to teach. So since that able to teach is held out as, as a distinction compared to deacons, able to teach, and then you look in chapter 2 and you see where it says that a woman is not able to teach exercise authority. From that, we can say um, that... In the office of pastor, in the office of elder, that is reserved just for men. Now, it doesn't, you can, we can go on a long list of everything that a woman can do. There's almost besides, I mean, my, my view is a woman can do almost anything in the church besides being an elder. Certainly, if they're gifted, we want them to use their, their gift of teaching. But the one that, that would actually hold the office of elder would be reserved for a man. But other than that, a woman can pretty much do anything in the church besides be. Um, A pastor of the church. Now, that's all I'm going to say. If you want to talk about that later, I certainly would be willing to do that. But as we're going through these qualifications, let's look at them. Therefore, it says, therefore, but my main point of all that is, men, men, listen, aspire. God wants you to aspire. This elder doesn't mean elderly, especially in this church. I hope it doesn't mean because we have a lot of young guys here. All right. This means aspire. I don't care how old you are aspire we need strong men leading this church and we want you so we're going to talk about that how that can look later on and what you would be what the process would be but then verse two therefore an overseer must be and here we go with the list of all these things an overseer elder must be above reproach above reproach this this uh above reproach can kind of be a big junk drawer term. If you don't know what a junk drawer term, junk drawer means, just go to my house and the the drawer right below my coffee pot, open it up and you'll see just a a handful of everything, you know, from screwdrivers to tape to kitchen supplies. I mean, everything's in that one junk drawer. And so this just means, this is kind of the junk drawer qualification where he's just saying, above reproach, In regard to things, so it basically just means that no one is able to come. There's no grounds, this is a really broad term, but there's no grounds for anybody around you to throw an accusation upon you and it's going to stick. That's basically what it means. And so I just, the best way to think about this is an elder that's above reproach pursues holiness. He absolutely pursues holiness with everything that's in him. And again, if you're a believer, you pursue holiness. That's not reserved for the pastor's you're a believer you pursue holiness let me give you a couple texts that talk about this um acts 2027 which we just saw i'm sorry 2028 says pay careful attention to yourselves when he talks about the flock but he starts it off by saying pay careful attention to yourselves elders in regard to your own holiness another place in this exact same book in chapter 4 he says to train yourself for godliness Train, in the same way that if you're going to run a marathon or lift weights and get really huge, you train and eat right and do all that stuff. In the same way, you train yourself for godliness. You eat the Word of God. You, you pray and you meditate and all these kinds of things. It's, you train yourself for godliness. This is a direct thing that an elder should do. In and, and 1 Timothy four sixteen, he says, keep a close watch on yourself, a very close watch on yourself in regard to holiness. Um, Richard Baxter, which I quoted before um, in his book, Reform Pastor... Um, written about 400 years ago. He says this. This is great. He says, The greatest gift a pastor can give to his congregation is... What would you think that would be? He's great at expositing the word of God. He loves everybody. This is what he says. The greatest gift a pastor can give to his congregation is his own holiness. His own pursuit of Jesus. That's one of the greatest gifts he can give. He says, The church will think that he does not mean as he speaks if he does not live as he speaks just because you can say all these things if you don't live that way then they're going to think you don't mean it calvin says for never will the man take diligent care for the salvation of others who neglects his own salvation in other words if you don't watch work out your own salvation with fear and trembling as philippians 2 you certainly won't ever care that other people do so you must do that baxter continues on he's saying if you don't pursue holiness with all of your might. He's talking to a pastor, but this is so true for every single one of us. He says, if you don't pursue holiness with all your might, how can you follow sinners with compassion in your hearts, tears in your eyes, but seek them in the name of the Lord Jesus to stop their course, return to Christ, and live, and never had so much compassion on your own soul as to do this much for yourself? How can you do that for other people if you're not going to do it for your own soul? You won't. So there's a desperate need, if you're going to, with tears in your eyes, with all of your might pursue, that they would know Jesus, you must pursue Christ with your own soul as well. So above reproach. Every Christian here should pursue Christ. Now, this does not mean at all that a pastor is not a sinner. Don't mishear me. They are. But we're talking about being above reproach, pursuing holiness, pursuing Christ with everything you have. All right, the next one is that you would be a husband of one wife. Um, this is literally husband and wife. Uh, the word husband can also be translated man. Uh, there, there's just one word for husband or man, and the word wife can be translated um, wife or woman. And so literally, this husband and one wife um, literally is one woman man. Now, there's, there's multiple ways that people take this. This is widely, widely debated, and we're not going to spend a ton of time. But uh, one idea is that when it says one woman man, it means that he has to be married he has to be he, you can't be a one-woman man if you're single um <laughs> but Paul was an elder and we know in, in 1 Corinthians 7 that he was single and so that's probably that's that's one one and the other side of it is um one-woman man means uh that he can't have been married and then divorced and then remarried cuz he's not a one-woman man now that's kind of the ends of the spectrum and then there's been so much ink spilled on all the positions in between, I mean, for the last 2,000 years. Now, Calvin says this. He says, the only true exposition, therefore, and he's, he's pretty strong in what he says here. The only true exposition, therefore, is that of Chrysostom. Chrysostom was a guy that lived in the 3rd century. His name was John Chrysostom. They called him Golden Tongue because he was just a, like a, a golden preacher. He was amazing. He would woo them into Christ, like, amazingly. So anyway, he said, the only true exposition, therefore, is of Chrysostom that in a bishop he, Paul, or an elder or pastor, he expressly condemns polygamy. He condemns in a bishop having two wives living at the same time. So a one woman man, um, a husband of one wife, and Calvin's view and in Chrysostom is that this literally means he's he's condemning polygamy. And so when he says one woman man, it means um, that the woman that you're with, and she must be one, uh, that you pursue her and love her, and that's all you're giving your heart towards. That's that's his translation. Um, I think it's probably a good one. Grudem also says that. And he says that Paul is expressly prohibiting polygamy. And he gives some good reasons. Uh, I'm not going to go into all of them. But one of the best reasons he gives is as you read this, all these qualifications, every single one of those like drunkard or hospitable or all this is talking about the present status of that particular man right now. If he ever got drunk, it doesn't mean he's disqualified. If he was ever not hospitable, it doesn't mean he's disqualified. And so he's saying... Now, if he, he needs to be a one, one woman now. That's a pretty good case, I think, for that. We're not going to spend a bunch of time on that, but the, the point of it is um, that he is deeply devoted and loving towards his, towards his wife. If he can't do that, how can he lead a church? Um, and the way that we would do this at Remedy and think about this would be absolutely case by case. I mean, there's just no other way that you can do it because of the 2,000 years of ink spilled And (laughs) me knowing that I am absolutely not very smart in regard to these things, the only thing that Jack and I can say is we're going to look at these case by case for anybody that would aspire to the office of elder. Um, We're going to go through these quickly because I'm taking way too long. Um, He must be sober-minded. That means he's self-controlled. He's not enslaved to addictions. Um, He also must be self-controlled. He's not a hothead. He doesn't punch the wall and go crazy. But he uses balanced judgment. Um, He doesn't make quick superficial Immature decisions. He thinks about things. He's he's self-controlled. He's respectable. He lives a wife a life that's well-ordered and has good behavior. Um, hospitable. This means that. He is unselfish with his personal resources. It applies to strangers as well, that people come to his house and he uses his resources to bless them. It doesn't mean that he's really good at making dinner. It means that he uses the resource because I'm terrible at making dinner. Um, but it, use, it means that he is using his resources to bless others. And when we think about loving strangers, we even, um, I've heard many people use say that this means that he's inviting a lot of unbelievers into his house. And so this is the missional piece of an elder where we can see that he is absolutely wanting to invite unbelievers into his house, show hospitality to them for the purpose of telling them the gospel so that they can meet Jesus. And so an elder must be on mission. I mean, if an elder's not on mission, he's no good. I don't care if he can tell you every single thing about eschatology and and all the end-time stuff, or or can talk about soteriology, da-da-da, all these seminary words. If he's not on mission, he's no good. He's just no good. So next one um, is... Uh, able to teach sound doctrine able to teach sound doctrine and this means that this doesn't necessarily mean that he will be the sunday morning preacher let's say we had five six seven elders this doesn't mean that all five of those are going to be um, on the stage preaching on, on, on sunday mornings they may not necessarily be that but they are able to teach They are able to teach. They are able to communicate the truth of God and exhort sound doctrine in a non-argumentative, cogent, understandable way. They're able to teach. doesn't mean that they're the Sunday morning preachers. It means that they are able to teach the church the Word of God. Um, And that's in... All kinds of settings. Paul makes no distinction that it must be on Sunday morning here. And so there, we would be wrong to make that. It just means that they. Calvin says it this way. That he can commend wisdom in applying the word of God judiciously to the advantage of the people. I wish I could talk like that. But it's, it's very important that we see that. And we can see, as I've said, that's able to teach is a key distinction from the office of deacon. The office of elder is the one who is... Going to teach them the word of God. We saw it in Acts twenty twenty eight That he teaches them the whole counsel of God. We saw it in 2 Timothy 4. Preach the word. The exhortation from Paul to preach the word. On and on. Um, the next one is that he's not a drunkard. It's just smart. You don't need Otis up here trying to preach. Um, anybody? Andy Griffith? Nobody. All right. Verse 9. Uh, number 9. Um, <laughs> he's not violent, but gentle. He's a gentle guy. His His speech is patient and tender. He doesn't have a quick temper. He's not violent. Um, he's not quarrelsome. The next one, he doesn't try to enter into selfish argumentation. In other words, he's not so prideful that he has to make you believe everything he says. He can let things go. He's um, he's not quarrelsome, although he does want to stand up for truth. Um, he does want to stand up for truth. He's not a lover of money. Um, he's not out for sordid game. He's not out to be rich, um, but he... Is, is not a lover of money the next one is that he manages his household well we saw that already in four and five um, and this pertains to basically the big idea that he he leads at home he loves at home he serves at home and if he can't do those things if he can't teach his children the word of god look over there and manage that and see that they're growing in their faith growing in the gospel then how can he do that for the church he can't do that and so that's a huge disqualifier if he can't lead two, three, well, in our case, six, um, <laughs> six people, um, then how can he lead a church? He can't. Um, he, also, that he's not a recent convert. Uh, a new a new convert would be troublesome if he made them a an uh, elder right away, obviously just because of pride. So he can't be, he needs time to grow in his faith. Also, that he's thought of well by outsiders. Um, and this basically means that, in your business, in your world, wherever that pastor lives and does stuff around his neighborhood, that if you went to the people and you said, hey, did you know that so-and-so and so is an elder at this church? He's a pastor elder at this church. They'd say, huh, you know, I didn't know that, but that does make sense. That makes total sense, the way that he acts, the way he talks. They wouldn't say, oh, Really? Well, I didn't know that you could fill in the blank and still be an elder. <laughs> I didn't know that. If they say that, then that means they're not necessarily thought of well by outsiders. Um, and so that's that's the idea here. There's tons of other stuff that we can see. If we skipped over to Titus, there's more uh, qualifications and things. But this is the basic idea. These are the things that qualify an elder. We saw that. And so we're going to keep moving on. But one of the main things I want to hold out before we go to number five is that the elders at Remedy Church... Um, or at any church, they must meet these qualifications. But also, they must be disciple-makers. They must be disciple-makers. They, they need to be strong in their theology, but this alone doesn't necessarily make them a pastor-elder. They also, if they're going to lead the church, they need to be able to lead on mission, and they need to be on mission themselves. And so that's why it's absolutely crucial um, that I think a church wait for a couple years before, if they're a church plant, before they... Um, Appoint elders that they see men who are whether they're an elder or not, they're going to make disciples. That's that's what we're all called towards. That's what Matthew twenty-eight tells us that we're going to do. So, um, how do they oversee? That's number five. We're going to be in First Peter five for this little section. Um, how do they oversee? Let's look at First Timothy five. I'm going to read verses one through four. It says, "So I exhort." the elders among you as a fellow elder and as a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. And he looks right at him and he says, you who are elders, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. And then watch this. And when the chief shepherd appears that's talking about Jesus when the chief shepherd appears you will receive the unfading crown of glory this word chief shepherd is talking about Jesus which means that he is the head pastor of every church i'm not the head pastor of remedy jesus is the head pastor i just am one of the elders under jesus he's he's top of the list on the org chart if you will he's the head pastor i am just one of the elders here at remedy and so a couple things that I want you to see from that from those texts of Scripture is how do the elders, what, in what way do they kind of, and what, what do they do? We talked about their qualifications. What are some of the things that they actually do? Look at verse 2, when he says, I exhort you, you should do this. The first one is, shepherd the flock of God that is among you. There's a lot in there. But we talked about shepherding, meaning lovingly overseeing. So that a pastor should be characterized. It should be obvious that he has a deep Love for the people that are here at his church. And I think it's key that we say among you, especially in this digital age where there's there's people all over. Other congregations are not the elders' responsibility. This congregation is the elders' responsibility. So he is the first thing that he has to do. What do elders do? They shepherd the flock of God that is among them. The next thing we do, you can see it right there, exercising oversight, not under compulsion. This exercising oversight, if shepherding... Uh, the distinction if i 'm going to make a, a distinction of, of shepherding is that that loving component of the church. Um, this exercising oversight is that idea where I need to look at the church, I need to think about the different things that are in the church and the people and all that kind of stuff, and think about the way we 've structured things and that things are working smoothly and going. Um, to where most people are being cared for, most people are being made disciples. And if we have things in there that aren't causing that or aren't doing that, we need to reshape them, we need to reform them. So this is the idea of kind of looking at the big picture. Now, a lot of times, a lot of pastors or elders or whoever are good at that. They're really good at making things better. But you have to be able to do this first one. Just because you can make things better, if you don't love the people, then... What good is that? We want people that can make things better, but also they love the people so much that both of those kind of come together. And the third thing which we talked about um, is teaching. So that's what the elders do. They shepherd, they exercise oversight, and they teach. How do they do those things? Are they autocratic um, people that just demand things that should happen? How is it if Peter's telling them they're supposed to do those things, what should be the personality, the way that they carry themselves, the spirit in which they do these things? It's right there. Notice what it says. There's four of them. Not under compulsion, but willingly. In other words, um, no one's making them do it. They're willingly wanting to do it. No one's saying, you better be an elder. Get out there, an elder. But they're saying, you know what? I care about these people so much. I love them so much. I, I really want to be... Um, An elder, overseer, pastor of this church because I care about him. So the first one is this, not under compulsion. That's the first way. The second one, you can see it right there. Um, He would have you, God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. They're not doing it to have a title or to have money or all those kind of stuff, but they're doing it because they care about the people. The third one, it says, not domineering over those in in your charge. So he's not... um, a big jerk that just demands his way and call, and makes everybody you know fall in line and says what he, he doesn't dominate people he like Christ servant he's a servant leader he comes alongside them loves them and leads them that way and then the fourth one um, which I just see down in in verse five and six where it says that we should all have humility towards one another and verse six we should humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God I think this is another way in which pastors should shepherd is that they should be very very humble they should be very humble that they're willingly doing it, they're eagerly doing it, they're setting a good example, and they're humble with the people that God has put them in charge of. Um, so, that's kind of the big picture things about elders. Now what I want to do really fast while we're still in number five is show just from just one verse what would be the thing that the congregation should do in response to this. If a man is truly pursuing Christ, loves the scriptures, teaches the scriptures, loves his church so much, wants to exercise oversight in a loving, compassionate, Christ-like way, if all those things are happening, then what would be the right response of the church back towards him? Um, We're going to look in Hebrews 13 for that. Hebrews 13, there's just one verse, and I want you to see it. Hebrews 13, verse 17. This is what um, Paul, not Paul, well, some people think Paul wrote Hebrews, but the writer of Hebrews uh, writes to the people. In verse 17, he says, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls, as to those will have to give an account. So the response of a congregation to an elder pastor who is meeting all the qualifications and has all these things going on, where he's pursuing Christ and pursuing the church and loves and cares for him, the right response for you is not to say, "Well, I'm glad you're doing that. I'm still going to do what I want." That's not. If you're a member of the church or uh, an attender of the church, and this is where you're calling your church home. The way that you're supposed to respond to the elder leaders of the church is that you would obey them and submit yourself to them. And this is only in regard to them pursuing Christ. Only in regard to them pursuing these things. Um, This is a huge... Now, as a pastor, when I read this, I read the second part of it. I hear the obey your leaders and submit to them. And it says, For they are keeping watch over your souls as to those who will have to give an account. That part of the text haunts me. Because... As a pastor elder, there will be one day where I will have to give an account in the way that I oversaw your souls. I don't take this lightly. As a matter of fact, I mean, since I've had this music stand, I have it right here. Keep watch over their souls. You will give an account. Every sermon I come up here, that's right there. What I want to do is keep watch over your souls because I care for you so deeply. And I also know that the Lord will make me um, be held accountable for those things. So... For the pastor, when he thinks about this, he's thinking he's going to have to give an account. Make sure you watch over their souls in a certain way because there is an account. But for you, what you should, what, what the Bible and what God's calling you to do is to obey your leaders and submit yourselves to them. The reason why he says this in that second part of 17, let them do this. Let the elders oversee you with joy, not with groaning, because that would be of no advantage to you. That would be of no advantage. If it's a difficult Thing to do to lead you, it doesn't give you an advantage. But if this is where you call home, this is where you're a member, this is where you've joined, then God's saying, submit yourself under their leadership. As long as they're teaching the scriptures, as long as they're pursuing Christ, and you know that, submit yourself under their leadership because that's the most advantageous thing for your soul, for you to grow in in your walk with Christ. Um, so that's what that's what would be your uh, response in light of some of these things we talked about of elders. Now, I'm going to close with some challenges here and just kind of uh, let you know what, would, what are some of the application points here for you in this, in this talk. I know this has been um, feeling kind of academic, but still, um, this is an important thing that we all understand, I guess, the polity of the church, the, the governance. Um, the first thing is this. I want to talk about that aspiration in 1 Timothy 3 aspiration or desiring or aspiring to be in the office of elder is something that every man, I think, in this church should aspire to. Whether you will be or not, you all should. And this coming fall, we're going to start an assessment process of those who would be aspiring to the office of elder. And it's a year-long process. If you go through it at the very end, uh, every person that's an elder has to go through this. And if you go through it at the very end, there's a few things that that can be the outcome of that. Number one, you go through it, and if you go through it, you are you might be an elder i mean there's this you meet all the qualifications we see and we see that the holy spirit is pressing upon us that yes they need to be in an office of elder you go through that and you become an elder and you help us shepherd the people well here at, at remedy church that's one particular outcome the second outcome is if you go through it you might not be an elder but You just went through a year-long assessment process where you've given us insight into your life, the way you run your home, the way you pursue holiness, and and we've given you book after book and theology things where hopefully the Holy Spirit would take those things and just make you an amazing man of God, an amazing Christian. Every person should want to do that, whether you become an elder or not. And so you may not become an elder. However, what a a tremendous thing to go through and, and, and grow in your walk with Christ. Or... It could be that at the end we say it's just not your time or at the very end we could just say, you know what, I don't know that you'll ever be an elder. Maybe you don't have that distinction of able to teach, but you are a lover of Jesus and you pursue Christ and you're a servant of the church and you might just be a deacon in, in the church. But we want to say in this coming fall, we're gonna have that. And for all of men that are aspiring, I just encourage you to to aspire for the office of, office of elder here at Remedy. It may mean that you will, it may mean that you won't, and um, but you still should should go through it. Some other things that I want to challenge you is as we went through those, those points of qualification in First Timothy three: not a drunkard, hospitable, um, above reproach, one woman man. All these kinds of things you should have seen some of those things as a husband or a wife that you can look at and you can say, you know what, I'm not that, but I need to be as a believer. Now. You don't white-knuckle it and pursue that by yourself and you get it done because we're an American and we can get stuff done. You pursue that thing that needs to happen by the power of the Spirit based on the gospel and that Christ has come and, and purchased your righteousness and in that you're going to walk in what's true of you. But you pursue those things. God has put those things out there, not as a list just for the best Christians in the church, but for every Christian. So that's the second challenge. As you went through that, and maybe you want to go through that right now or as we're doing some some worship in a little bit and look at some of those things and say where is God challenging me in regard to 2 Timothy 3 May, maybe over lunch you can sit down across the table from someone and say let's open up 1 Timothy 3 and let's, let's do some real work in how I can become hospitable how I can be more um, on mission or whatever um, the next one is for the congregation the next challenge as we just read Hebrews 13, 17 um, perhaps the idea of submitting to leadership is something that you just want to rebel against and I would just say, this is a good challenge point for you, that you would want to um, submit under the leadership. As long as you trust your elders to be pursuing Christ and teaching the Word of God and pursuing you and caring for you, then there's no reason why you shouldn't. If you don't, then come talk to us and let's find out why. But if we have no reason that you shouldn't, then let's, let's um, meet that challenge of Hebrews 13:17 and obey and submit yourselves under the leadership. And then the last one, I would say, an application point, and I, this isn't just kind of a throwaway application point, like, yeah, okay, we'll do that too, but I really mean this. I want to challenge that you would pray for the elders of this church. Like, really pray for them. I, I get notes and cards and texts and emails from some of you that say, hey, Fud, I pray for you often. I pray for, the, for you as a pastor of this church, and I appreciate that. I mean, I can't express in words how much that means to me because I absolutely am dependent upon it. And I would just say for those of you, if this is your church and you don't pray for your pastor or you don't pray for your elders we have in Jack now, um, I would just invite you to do that. To maybe just say for this next week, I'm going to pray for him every day. Um, it's huge for us. We, we are, at least I know that I am, and I'm sure you are too, but constantly under attack. Constantly under attack. And so the last challenge I would have is that you would pray for the pastors, the elders here at Remedy. Um, I'm going to pray and then we're going to go into our elder installation time here for jack and so um let's pray and then jack will come up and we'll install him into the office of elder here at remedy jesus we thank you for this time where we can come here and hear from your word and i pray that this this um sermon that we've looked at and though it's dealt primarily with a governing issue in the in the the body and in the church that this wouldn't be something that we just kind of listen to and kind of forget but there's been points in here um, applications where we can see where those things those things apply to me and I want to grow in my walk i want to I want to do those things in my life because you have given your life for me on the cross, and the gospel has declared me righteous. the gospel has said that I can do those things in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit for the glory of Jesus. Those things can happen, and I want them to Lord. I pray if anybody here has been challenged with. Um, making disciples, growing in holiness, all the different points that we could be challenged with, Lord. I pray that they would pursue those things. They wouldn't just hear them and say that's a good idea, but not do it. But, Lord, that they would do those things. We pray now as we go into our installation time of of Office of Elder that you would be with us. I thank you so much for Jack, Lord, and his heart for Remedy and his deep desire to um, serve the people here at, at Remedy Church. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.